good. I like that song. That's a good one. Well, we've been addressing and dealing with communication starting last week. Uh, we kind of kicked that off, and so we're going to continue with that. Of course, our marriage series, uh, Marriage Made Simple, is coming to a close, and as a result, we're uh, winding down, and so uh, we're going to go ahead and continue this particular study in communication and recognizing how vital and important it is in a marriage and, um, and when we're done with this, we probably are done with the series. I don't believe I'm going to throw another one in. I had one more I thought about, but it's very similar to some of the others. And yet, uh, we'll see. But I, I believe this is going to be it. And we've already talked about being committed and how important that was. We talked about being kind, uh, to be considerate, to be content. And we also said that we also need to be consistent 
And finally, we've ended now talking about be communicating. And so we want to take a few moments and kind of recap very quickly because we just started talking about that last week and then we'll continue on with what we have been addressing. Now, we said that the lack of communication can result in bitterness or fear, loneliness, failure, rebellion, or a sense of rejection. When there's a lack of communication in a marriage, it's a problem. It needs to be addressed and dealt with. We said that men and women are uniquely different. And we said men usually clam up or blow up, while women are pretty much relational and they often thrive on communication. That's kind of, they enjoy that. They do well with that. So what does that translate to, we said? Well, it translates to communicate or disintegrate. And so we began to make some suggestions as to how to productively communicate. And we said, first of all, turn the TV off, place your phones on silent, and close your laptops. We said that nobody likes to feel as though they have to compete for our attention. Uh, you see the phones are, you know, are buried into our phones and we're trying to talk to somebody. That, that's not real fun and that certainly doesn't scream, you know, I really respect you. Uh, and so it's not, a good, it's not a good thing to do. And so let's go ahead and turn the TV off and place our phones on silent and close our laptops and take some time to communicate, to talk to our loved one, especially our spouse. Then we said, let's sit across from each other or side by side. And <clears throat> again, there can be very little communication taking place uh, from the living room to the kitchen. <clears throat> Might be a few yells here and there, a few screams, and, you know, what do you want? I didn't hear you. What did you say? I don't know. Uh, it's a lot better when we can sit across from each other or possibly even side by side, but We've often heard it said that, you know, the eye is the window to the soul. And I don't know about you, but as I mentioned last time, I was raised to and taught that you look in someone's eye when you're talking to them. You know, you look them in the face, you look them in the eye. <clears throat> somebody that's going to not look you in the eye is probably somebody you can't trust is what I learned. And so you look them in the eye. And so those are the two areas we started with when we started mentioning some suggestions for productive communication. And I want to continue now in that same direction and vein. And so without further ado, I'm going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to start talking about the third one. And this is what it is. Be careful not to monopolize the conversation. We're going to talk about that and maybe others as well. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for this time together. We are grateful for all that you do for us. We are a needy people, and we just ask that you would, again, speak to us through your word. May you just instruct us and inspire us. May we be better communicators. May we take the time to consider some of these simple principles, apply them to our lives, and allow them to positively affect our marriages and our relationships across the board. We need you now. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Now, again, it doesn't matter. You may not be married tonight, but the fact is, is that you need to communicate. So principles of communication are certainly productive, and they are very beneficial to anybody. So I hope you don't tune out and say, well, this is for the married folk, and it doesn't apply to me. It does. It applies to all of us. The better communicator you are, the more likely, the more money you'll make in life. That's the reality of it. People that are unable to communicate 
have a very difficult time in relationships. Relationships are what make the world go around. So if you think, well, this is just all about marriage, I'm telling you, if you can communicate well, you'll make more money wherever you work. In the long run, you will do better. So it's going to help you in your spiritual life. It's going to help you in your marriage. It's going to help you with your children. And it'll help you even in your career-oriented direction. It'll help you in every area. Number three, be careful not to monopolize the conversation. Now, everybody, everybody probably in the room has engaged in a conversation and felt like they'd been taken hostage with no hope of escape because someone just will not stop talking. You've ever been there? Of course you have. And some of you are going, no, I've never been there. That's because you were the one holding them hostage. (laughs) If only one person is doing all the talking, then communication may not really be taking place. That's a reality. And if someone is a, a talker, then awkward silence tends to put tongues in motion, doesn't it? We think that it, there ha- can't be a moment of silence. If there's a moment of silence, somebody's got to say something, right? And since they're not, I'll have to. And isn't that normal? That, you know, if we're not careful, that's how we kind of address the issue. It's got to be remembered, however, that some people don't speak as easily or freely as others. They may demand a little bit more time in order to articulate their feelings, Things don't come as quickly to their mind. It takes them a moment to assess the situation and then ultimately share. A short pause may provide the needed nudge that's necessary to get them speaking. And if we're always kind of jumping in, in a sense, we're kind of rescuing them. A wife says, well, my husband will never talk. Maybe it's because you don't stop. Again, I say that kind of hand in cheek or cheek and gum. What's that, cheek and gum or something? Or what's that? Tongue in cheek, thank you. I knew it was something like that. But the truth is that sometimes if you've got a husband that's not much of a talker, you may just have to let that awkward silence just rest there a while. Otherwise, they'll be glad to let you keep talking. But the problem with that is simply this. Just because someone is not talking does not mean they are listening. Just because they're not talking doesn't necessarily mean that they're connected. They may still be just as disconnected as ever. They're just not speaking. Listening, to be honest, is not easy for most people. Most people are are always engaging in their minds are always moving. We can't slow down long enough to listen to somebody. <clears throat> we're in a conversation, possibly, but really we're thinking more about what we're going to say and, and, and rebuttal to what they're saying than we are to really listening to what they're saying. And as a result of that, we never really get to know the person. We don't know what makes them tick. We can't really understand their heart because we've never listened long enough and really allowed it to sink in because we're always looking to speak ourselves. Listening is a forgotten art. Listening is something that is absolutely necessary, and honestly, it really is probably the bigger part of communication. And most people never really grasp that truth. I stand up here and I do a lot of talking, and as the pastor, I, I have to do tons of it. 
And sometimes up here, like this morning, I did a lot of yelling. And my voice is feeling that. I'm hoping that my voice heals up very well for tomorrow night when I think I'll be preaching that again at a conference. Well, good luck, right? I'll sound like probably a 12 or 13-year-old going through puberty. My voice will be going off the charts. I'll be squealing and everything else probably. That won't sound too good in front of all those preachers, will it? (laughs) But listening is a forgotten art. In the book of James, turn to James chapter 1, would you? James chapter 1, verse 19. What a powerful passage this is. An amazing passage. It's one of those passages that I kind of uh, memorized years ago, and I've always reminded myself of it over and over and over again. <clears throat> In James 1.19, the Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren... Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. The Bible says, even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And a man that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Again, it falls right in suit with the passage here when it says, be swift to hear, slow to speak. And slow to wrath. The art of listening is one that we all need to acquire if we're going to successfully communicate. The Lord Jesus Christ, he often said, He that hath ears, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Matter of fact, he uses this phrase in a statement seven times in the New Testament. And then when he gets to the book of Revelation, so on earth he uses it seven times. In heaven, in Revelations, he uses it eight times. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, The greater part of communication then, it sounds to me like the Lord's trying to remind us that listening is very, very important. And again, if the truth be known, most of us are probably pretty poor listeners. A man who loved nature, he was walking through a city park with a friend, and suddenly he he said, did you hear that cricket? The man said, well, I I didn't hear anything. I mean, how could you possibly have heard a cricket with all this roar of traffic all around us? And he said, well, you know, you hear what you train yourself to hear. Watch. Watch. He pulled some coins out of his pocket and he threw them on the sidewalk and instantly people started slapping their pockets and looking to see if they dropped some change. And you know, we need to train ourselves to be listeners and to be good ones at that. You hear what you train yourself to hear. So how do we become the listeners that we ought to be then? Because in a marriage, I'm telling you, that it's one thing to be silent and and listen to somebody. It's another thing to really hear what they're saying. Herb Cohen, often called the world's best negotiator, he made the statement, quote, effective listening requires more than hearing the words transmitted. It demands that you find meaning and understanding in what is being said. After all, meanings are not in words but in people. 
Many people put their focus on the idea of, you know, ideas being communicated. You know, what's being said. But they most often forget about the person saying them. I mean, why would somebody say what they're saying? So many times we are so quick to want to, you know, just jump on somebody or be angry with somebody. They say something we don't understand. They say something that seems like it doesn't make sense to us. And we say to ourselves, instead of saying, why would they say that? We just go, did you hear what they said? And can I tell you, there are husbands and wives in the room that have said something trying to express an opinion or a position and it's been received all wrong because all we hear are the words and we never think about the person and why they said it. There's a difference between listening passively and listening aggressively. See, to listen with your heart, you gotta, you're going to have to, your listening's going to have to be active. In his book, It's Your Ship, Captain Michael Abrashoff, he was commander of the USS Benfold, he explains that people are more likely to speak aggressively than to listen aggressively. When he decided to become an international listener, an intentional listener, excuse me, it made a huge difference in him and in those that he served. Arashoff, Abrashoff, excuse me, discovered early that his crew was talented, that they were smart, that they were filled with good ideas, but they hadn't always felt that they were heard by him. He said, I decided that my job was to listen aggressively. He begins by saying that he started to conduct one-on-one interviews with each of his 300-man crew. He learned about their families, the reasons for their enlistment, what they liked, what they didn't like, not only about the ship, not only about the military, but what they liked and didn't like about him. He said, something happened in me as a result of those interviews. I came to respect my crew enormously. He began to try to understand beyond simple words. He tried to look down into the heart. And I know, I know that the temptation is to say, we don't have time to do that. I mean, this is a heated discussion. This is a real problem. We need to listen intently. We need to listen on purpose. We need to listen aggressively. When you truly listen to somebody, you're going to be more apt to consider their suggestions. You're going to validate that spouse. You're going to validate that child. You're going to validate that that employee. You'll validate that person that you're discussing and dealing with and talking with. You'll make them feel like they matter because you took the time to really listen to them. I think sometimes folks get the wrong impression even about pastors, you know. You know, pastors do so much speaking in the pulpit. They talk so often, and it seems like there's, you know, always just talking and talking and talking and talking. And they think, boy, if I go see that guy, I'll just get another dose of preaching. I don't know, maybe pastors are like that, but I can tell you, I got to believe there are a number of pastors that aren't like that either. 
Listen, I'm not the same person in this pulpit that I am in that office. I'll guarantee you that I won't talk as much there that I talk as I talk in here. And I think sometimes the fact is, is that we have to make up our minds to be good listeners. We have to really listen to what people are saying and try to understand why they say what they say, not just what they're saying. That's being an aggressive listener. Every single person in this room probably ticks. Uh, that what makes them tick is just a little bit different probably. Again, there's many similarities in a, a crowd like this where we love the Lord Jesus Christ and we believe in the Word of God and all of those different things that we practice and that we do in our lives. Many, many similarities, but I can guarantee you this. There are some people in a room that, that were just different. We are unique individuals, and what makes us tick is different. You'll never know what makes a person ticks and let, a tick unless you seriously and aggressively listen. It doesn't mean that everything a person says is to be validated. It doesn't mean that we're to always agree. That's not what we're discussing and how, what we're saying here. I mean, you don't agree with a fool in his folly, the Bible says. It's because somebody believes that something's right doesn't make it true. Matter of fact, there's a way that... There, there's a way... Uh, I can't remember now. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. They're convinced it's right, but it's not. So we can't validate those things. However, we can be interested listeners. We can be genuinely concerned and interested in what's being said. We can be intense listeners, listening aggressively, concentrating on what's being said, eliminating distractions and focus on the person and their words as they speak. We can be intuitive listeners, hearing beyond the words, beyond the hurt, and beyond the attitude maybe that they have. We're hearing the person and not simply the words or the inflection in their voice. We're listening to their hearts. Train yourself to listen to people. And hear their heart, not just their words. And I guarantee you it'll make a difference in your life. You know, it's always interesting to me how <clears throat> it, it almost, it's amazing sometimes to me. And I'm sure that some of you have had this feeling that you meet somebody and within just a few moments you already know who they are and what they're about. Now that's scary. You've got to be careful with that one because sometimes we jump to conclusions. The only way that you can know for sure that that gut feeling is right, is to simply listen to them unbiasedly. It's hard to shut off everything that you think you know already because what happens is we put people in boxes and we automatically assume we know what they're thinking. And so then they don't even have to say anything for us to assume they're saying something. So they make a statement and we already think we know what they mean by that statement. Because we put them in that box. We know what they think, and we know why they said what they said. The question is, have we really listened to what they've said along the way? Do we really know the person, or do we just think we do? And sometimes our husbands and our wives become that. You know, we're going through a tough patch in our marriage, maybe. Maybe you're going through a difficult time, and you start to redefine who that person is in your mind. And instead of really listening to them, you've already come to a conclusion and that can be very dangerous. So we have learned a couple of things along the way. First, 
We said, turn off the TV, place your phones on silent, close your, lap, close your laptops, sit across from each other or side by side, and then be careful not to monopolize the conversation because if I'm doing all the talking, there's probably not a whole lot of communicating going on. Number four, control your emotions. We touched on this a little bit the last segment, I believe, or the last portion of our series, but control your emotions. Now, again, I'm just going to say it. Emotions are rarely productive when it comes to communication. They're rarely productive. I didn't say they're never productive, but they're rarely productive in the event you're trying to accomplish something and really come to a conclusion or get down to the bottom line of something. Now, emotions are God-given, so we cannot... And I can't deny that in the least. And they can be a beautiful thing, a wonderful thing, but they can also cloud the waters of common sense at times. You have to be very careful with emotion. Although it's God-given, it can also be utilized by Satan to really, really mess your life up. You know, we talked about that with that whole idea of, you know, fact, faith, feeling, and making sure all of that is in the proper order. The goal is not to eliminate emotion from our conversations, but to temper it. There's a healthy balance of emotion that must accompany our conversation. We are human beings, so emotion is just a natural part of our being. God created us that way, and therefore it's okay. Emotion expresses, expresses passion. It expresses desire, it expresses love, it expresses disgust and anger, disappointment, and just a number of feelings that help to convey thought and ultimately ideas. So emotion's important, it is, it's absolutely necessary. They define who we are most often, and they're necessary. But once again, you have to find balance in that. Too much of anything can be a bad thing, and that's true with emotion. The Bible tells us in Philippians 4, 5, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Amen. Now, there, there, listen, there's a time to every season. Man, a loss of a loved one, the hearts break and emotion comes out. That's not what we're addressing. That's not what we're dealing with. We're not talking about a disappointment of a parent when a child breaks their heart and they sit and cry and they just can't help but wring their hands and they go out to God and cry out to the Lord. We understand that. But when we're trying to communicate, we're trying to get somewhere. Because, see, when you start a conversation, the goal isn't to end up where you started. The goal is to end up somewhere else. But often, emotion will keep you from moving in the direction you choose to go. It will often cloud perspective, which will ultimately keep you from being able to address the kind of ideas and thought process that's necessary to ultimately arrive at the new destination. It's kind of like trying to travel when there's a lot of fog. You're driving down the road and you can't see that, just, I mean, you can't see 20 feet in front of you. You flip your brights on or your lights on, you can't see, you see even less. And emotions like that fog many times, it hinders our ability to travel. Again, I, I, we're not trying to say that it's not important. We are trying to say that balance is the key to the Christian life and therefore the right amount of emotion to any and all interactions is necessary and needful. I wonder, have you ever tried to reason with a child who's just simply lost it? 
You know, I mean, you know, the, you hear the, the heaving chest and the uncontrollable sobbing. Really, have you ever tried to get somewhere with a child like that? How successful were you to express an idea to them at that moment? How open to your suggestions are they at that time? I mean, they're just sobbing. I mean, <laughs> please have a seat. It's going to be okay. Why did you do that, Johnny? <laughs> Nothing makes any sense at that point. There comes a time when conversation is impossible when that kind of emotion is present. Control your emotions. You want to properly and effectively communicate, you got to control those things. You got to work at that, okay? Number five, <clears throat> avoid topics that trigger emotional outbursts. Now, this one seems to be a little bit crazy because someone may think, well, I mean, aren't we supposed to discuss the difficult issues? Absolutely, you need to, you have to. But there is a time and a place to do that. So many times a conversation begins or kicks off and emotion starts to rise a little bit, and I think this one fits right in there. The truth is then we start to bring things up that we know are triggers. We say them to hurt somebody. We say them to get a response. There are times when we shouldn't push those buttons. There's times we shouldn't use those things, those statements, or bring up the past in those certain circumstances because it's only going to trigger emotion and it's going to blow the conversation out of the water. You say, but I'll win at least. Nobody wins that kind of conversation. Everybody loses. Everybody loses. We need to be wise when we address emotionally charged issues. That's why it's not very wise to <clears throat> go door to door sharing the gospel and, I'm just going to say it, wear a mega hat. I don't think that's very wise. Why would you ostracize potentially 50% of the people you're going to knock on their door? And depending on the neighborhood, it may be a lot more. Why would you automatically cause them to emotionally be angry with you before you even get one word out of your mouth? It makes no sense to me. Well, I'm going to. Well, do that when you're not door knocking them. That's fine. You are a citizen of the United States. You do what you want to do. You have every right to express yourself. Go for it. But I'm telling you, it's a trigger. And if you're going to truly communicate with somebody that's lost, and you don't know where they stand on that issue, you need to be careful of that. You know, years ago, we used to say things like, there's two things you don't discuss with family. You don't discuss politics, and you don't discuss religion. Why is that? Because many times those are emotionally charged issues. They trigger emotion. Now, I do believe that there needs to be an openness in families, especially media. Listen, you, there should be nothing that you and your family can't discuss except for private matters, of course, and adult themes with your children. And, and, I'm, and listen, I'm going to tell you this. You do a disservice to your children when you start sharing problems in your home with your kids. Your children are not equipped to handle problems. And they're certainly not there to be your counselor just because you're having a problem with your husband or you're having a problem with your wife. Don't you expect them to bear your burden. Thank you, preacher. We love you for that kind of talk. 
It happens a lot. You'd be amazed. And it happens in Christian homes too, by the way. But these triggers, we need to be careful with that, okay? Again, we need to address the uncomfortable topics. However, when and where we do that can make a huge difference in how they're received. Again, remember, communication begins here, and we want it to end somewhere, here. I don't want my communication to start here and end here, or start here and end back here. And many times when husbands and wives are entering into these kind of communication times, they're not discussing things. Many times they turn into arguments or, or much tension, and where they started is either where they ended, or many times they end up back here in worse shape than they started. Well, that's not productive at all. You'd have been better off not to have the conversation than to start it and end up back there. You got to use some wisdom about this thing. You need to be careful. Avoid topics that trigger emotional outbursts. When and where is key to this? Address the tough issues, the uncomfortable topics, but be careful how you do it and where you do it and when. Number six, keep it civil and be considerate. Keep it civil and considerate. Okay, so say what you mean and mean what you say. We got that, right? Be honest and sincere, but be respectful of the other person's feelings as well. You don't appreciate something that's going on in your mother-in-law's household. And so you're going to tell your wife that you just can't stand going to your mother-in-law's. You better be careful how you handle that one, sir. Fortunately, I have the best mother-in-law in the world. She's the sweetest, kindest young woman that I know. Outside of my dear mother. Whew. Communicating effectively. <laughs> but you need to mean what you say, yes. Be honest and sincere, but be respectful of the other's feelings. You know, a husband in counseling, he was just attacking his wife unmercifully. I just ripping her. He's calling her names, insulting her in every horrible display. I mean, just angry and upset and just, I mean, just going off. He was stopped in mid-sentence and he was asked, why are you doing this? He said, well, because I'm honest, that's why. I believe in telling it like it is. And that may seem very noble to some, but it's really not that noble. Telling the truth is absolutely essential. It is required, but sharing it compassionately can make all the difference as to whether or not your relationship thrives or dies. You know, there are times we take, it's almost like a badge of, look, just like he wore it. He wore this, this unfiltered tongue like a badge of honor. Well, I tell it like it is. I've heard people say that through my lifetime. You may not like what I have to say, but I just tell it like it is. Well, yeah, but I also know how that affects everybody around you. 
And I'm not saying not to be honest, and I'm not telling you not to tell the truth, but remember what we said earlier, there are times and places for that, and how we do it makes all the difference. And in this particular case, as we said, your relationship either thrives or dies on whether you handle this properly. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, turn there, would you? A powerful passage. I mean a powerful. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, the Bible says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. I don't know about you, but that pretty much says it all, doesn't it? Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. I want you to turn, if you would, to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Notice what the Bible says here, beginning in verse 1. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation, for in many things we offend all. <clears throat> By the way, did you get and understand what he was just saying there? He says, be not many masters. You know, one of the things that's interesting is young people and maybe even adults at times think that the greatest thing in the world is to be in charge of people. I just want to be in charge. I want to be the master. I want to be, in, I want to be the number one honcho. I want to be the big cheese. The Bible's saying, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation, for in many things we offend all. Do you realize how difficult it is to be in charge? Do you realize how careful you have to be in what you say and how you deal with people? Can I tell you it's a lot easier to go to work and come home and not being the boss than it is being the boss? I know people, oh, yeah, look at all the benefits of being the boss. You may be surprised. There may not be as many as you think. And I promise you, if they're the right kind of boss, they're looking out after you all along. You may not understand that at times, but they're doing their best. And that doesn't mean they're always going to land in your corner and do exactly what you'd like. It's not easy, though, being in charge. I'm telling you that. At least that's what the Bible's teaching us. For in many things we offend all, he says, Hold on, he goes on in verse 3 to say, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths. So he's talking about offending people with our tongues, our lips. And he says that even offend not in word. If any man offend not in word, verse 2, the same as a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body. Now we understand that perfect man was Jesus Christ. There's only one person that's ever been in a position where he was able to bridle his tongue, able to bring it into subjection and submission the way it ought to be. One person ever. There's never been any other perfect man on earth. So Jesus is the only one that could tame the tongue. 
It's not giving us a license or the right not to try and not to work at it and not to commit it to the Lord Jesus Christ. But what it is telling us is that if you can tame your tongue, you'll be a perfect person. And someone says, well, he must be talking about mature, being mature uh, in their walk in faith with Christ. I believe he's talking about literally being perfect like Christ was. Yes, maturity is a factor here. I understand that. But I believe that there has never been a person yet who could tame the tongue the way Jesus did, nor will there ever be. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us. We turn about their whole body. Behold, verse 4, all the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire. He's talking about yours too, mind you. A world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. I don't know about you, that's serious business. And again, I understand as I read this passage, I'm looking here at this particular portion of Scripture, and I know that in my own body, I know that the tongue is a member. And I get that, and I understand that. And the Bible's telling me that even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Behold, how great a matter, a little fire kindleth. And then he goes on to talk about it being a fire, and he talks about it being among our members. I know he's talking about my tongue in my body, and how it is set on fire of hell. I know this. But can I tell you this? I don't, think that it's, I don't think that it's coincidental that he's using the word members here in this passage. I do think it goes all the way back to Corinthians, and I think we can tie members to the body of, church, the, the, of, body of Christ, and I can tell you this, that if there's ever been a problem in a church, it has begun with this. This thing has wrecked and ruined so many ministries, so many churches, so many lives. And I want you to understand that in your relationship with your husband or wife, or even with your children or friends or family, I promise you, if you got issues, it probably started, it most likely began with a tongue or continues to be exasperated with the tongue. You continue to keep the fire aflame because we do not control the tongue most often. And it's not just a matter of me addressing an issue personally with someone. It's not just, oh, I got a problem with you. I didn't appreciate what you said to my girlfriend. I didn't like what you said to my wife. I don't appreciate you. You got a big mouth, buddy. That's not the discussion that we have. The discussion we have is, did you hear what Isaac said? I can't stand what Isaac said. He bothers me. He said this about my girlfriend. And I know what he meant when he said it, too. It's not just what I say to that man who I have a problem with. The worst part is when I start spreading the fire around to others and they have no business even knowing what's going on. You don't share your problems with people who are not part of the solution. And sadly enough, most often, we are very quick to share our problems with somebody other than the ones who are part of the solution. That tongue, what a nasty thing that tongue is.
But the tongue, verse 8, can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. That's pretty clear. I like that passage in Ephesians again. Turn there, would you, as we close tonight. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Again, I told you that this is quickly becoming my favorite marriage passage. I think it applies very, very good and well here in number 6 of our study. Keep it civil and consider it. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, And be ye kind one to another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Do you realize how many problems we could avoid if we were just kind to each other? Uh, listen, I'm just going to say this, and, and you, you know, maybe you've never been there. I, unfortunately, I have. There are certain people that when they come and say something to me, and I'm not talking about in our church necessarily, I'm just talking about in life that I've had to deal with through the years. They confront me, they say something to me, and before they get anything out of their mouth, I'm like, oh, great. Immediately, it's difficult to be kind. The very moment I see them, it's hard to be kind. It's like I'm going to have to work at this one. I'm telling you, if we would just get the mind of Christ, if we would just have the Spirit of God working and moving in our life instead of functioning and operating in this old sinful, wicked flesh, we wouldn't fight so much with things like that. And if we would be kind to people, everybody, anybody, it'd change our life and it'll change others as well. It'll change your marriage. I'm telling you, just kindness alone, and we've discussed it, and I've run it in the ground, I know, but when it comes to being civil and considerate in these battles that we have or these, these, these uh, uh, issues that we face in marriage, if you'd just be kind one to another, if you'd make up your mind, I'm not going to yell, and I'm not going to lose my temper, and I'm not going to allow myself to say things that are wrong or unruly. I'm not going to use my tongue to slice and dice, and I'm not going to try to get the victory so that I can at least pound on my chest today. I'm going to be kind, Christ-like in my attitude and my outlook. Wow, your marriage would be transformed. It would be changed. Do you know your spouse may not even mind talking to you about difficult issues because they know you're not going to lose control? That you're actually going to listen even though you may not agree, you won't blow them up? Do you ever think that your spouse doesn't want to talk to you because they know that whatever they say, it'll be wrong. And so why discuss it? Be kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Communication. Communicate or disintegrate. So valuable, it's so essential, so necessary. May God help us to communicate more effectively so that we can make an impact in the lives of others 